How are you guys doing? How are the rest of you doing that didn't answer? Woohoo! All right, there we go. We need some life, people. I know, I know. How many of you were caught a little unawares by the time change this time? I'm going to be honest, I was. I was asleep, woke up in the middle of the night, and I don't know, it just hit me all of a sudden. The time is, oh no. I usually, I actually didn't mention this last year, and Barbara was very glad, but this year it just hit me all crazy. So if by some chance some of you are viewing online and plan to be here, and you thought, hey, I'll just come like normal, and you realized a little late that the time had changed, and you looked at your phone and it was later than what it was, we understand. Okay, I just want you to know that. So we're, we're there with you. By the grace of God, he woke me up and, and let me know that I couldn't sleep as late as I wanted to. Anyway, so... Some of you are feeling the same way. Anyhow, I am so excited about doing Psalms. Are you guys excited about doing Psalms? Because it is so wonderful to have half a year that we're going to be praising God, looking at the praises of God. It's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm really excited about that. How many of you love the outdoors? Raise your hand. How many of you love uh, looking at the night sky? Raise your hand. How many of you love the ocean? Raise your hand, okay? Uh, how many of you love wildlife? How many of you love to see, you know, animals crossing your yard or, or other things like that that's happening? I know some people have little cameras that are up in their yard saying, let's see what kind of critters I have. And then and you're horrified when it's like a skunk, you know, just walking next door. So I, I think that one of the things I loved, even before I was a Christian— I think one of the things I loved was creation. I lived, I, when I lived in Georgia with my grandmother at the time, there was a, 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 like a tenth of a mile driveway. And we lived far enough out in the country where we could actually see stars out at night. There wasn't just a whole lot of light pollution that was out there. It, it was very much like New Mexico in that way. And even before I knew Jesus, I would find myself driving you know, from work and then just spending time outside looking at the stars. I was just enamored with the stars. As you guys heard a couple weeks ago, avid astronomy person, love astronomy. And I just look up at the stars and wonder about them. And it's just amazing the more you spend time out doing stuff like that. I think creation is a huge testimony to God. Do you guys agree? I really do. And, and the sermon today is from Psalm 19. If I remember right, about five years ago, um, Mark and I planned a little series of psalm sermons. I did Psalm 119. Those of you here five years ago, I actually read all 176 verses of Psalm at Psalm 119 while we were here, and I believe that Mark started with Psalm 1. So the only one we haven't really covered is Psalm 19, which is what we're doing today. Um, so if you've been here for some time, we're still doing something new, so that's fun. Uh, but I wanted to do this one because there are two witnesses that are in this passage of Scripture. All these three uh, psalms that we studied this week are about the Word of God, but Psalm 19 as a secondary witness, and, and we're going to look at that together today. So if you will, turn to Psalm 19 as we uh, open up the Word of God, and we're going to read the first six verses of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his uh, pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So for the first six verses of Psalm 19, we get the first witness, and that first witness is creation. Creation is the first witness of God, and there's some interesting things that are said. It says that that the heavens declare the glory of God, and there's no place, nowhere on earth where its voice cannot be heard. I believe 100% that creation is a huge testimony to God. That the more time we spend in the creation, the more we're aware of the presence and the majesty of God. I really believe that. Which, in, in my opinion, is why some of what's happened this last year with all the lockdowns and things like that can be such a total travesty because we, we cloister ourselves, and I hope we haven't cloistered ourselves so much that we haven't at least gotten out, Right? I may not be able to go to somebody else's house or, or do something with somebody else. I haven't felt that freedom, but I've gotten out into God's creation because I want to remember his majesty and his glory and take praise for what he has created because everywhere I go, give testimony to God. As a matter of fact, I believe when we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul is actually referencing This passage of Scripture, I really believe that, 100%. Verses 18 through 20, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, by looking at creation itself, we should know that there is a God in heaven. As a matter of fact, there are six things that we can derive from creation. Six things that we can derive from creation without ever opening a Bible, with just looking at creation in and of itself, that we can get an idea of how this world, this universe came about. Versus this, that whatever happened at the creation. And when God said, let there be light, at that moment of creation, we have space, time, and matter all appearing. Boom. Everything that we know in existence concerning space, time, and matter happened at that moment of creation. Which means that that is the effect. The effect cannot be the cause. Therefore, whatever caused all of time, space, and matter to come into being must itself be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. 
something we can tell just from creation. Scientists, whether they are Christian or not, affirm that at the point of creation, time, space, and matter began to exist. Some will go so far as to say, well, that matter is eternal and it's just redone again, but it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny and most of the scientific community do not adhere to that. So we're left with a mystery. But that's not all that we find out about that, obviously. Whatever created the universe was powerful. I mean, it goes without saying. We have billions upon billions of galaxies and, and stars that are that are out there that we're still discovering from here at home and through our probes that are out there that we talked about a few weeks ago the endless opportunity of discovery not just on the plane of astronomy and out in the cosmos but down on the microscopic level and every place in between we're still discovering things here on earth We've been here advancing and looking at all of these things from a scientific point of view, and we still haven't conquered every mystery there is to know here on earth. Every mystery in the cosmos. Whatever created was exceptionally powerful. And then the more that we look, whether you are a Christian or you are an atheist, the more that you look at creation, the more you get the feeling that this place was designed to be the way that it was. That, that somehow earth was not just happened to have life, but was actually designed for it. Many atheists have said so much, even though they believe in evolution. And it stands as a testimony that whatever created this world was also intentional and intelligent. So we have these six attributes that I think you can extrapolate from creation that you and I have as a witness to us. This this very same witness that God proclaims and Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 says the whole world knows about this. Just by looking at creation, these six attributes that whatever created the world was intelligent, intentional, powerful, spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. It begins to look a lot like God, doesn't it? But it's not a complete view of God. It's just a general understanding of who God is. And I believe that's about as far as we can go because we have this incomplete view. As a matter of fact, if we were to look in Deuteronomy 8, the idea of creation is supposed to be an understanding for us. And what happens is that when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of of a God that's created all of this, we kind of start taking for granted that maybe it is us instead of God that has created everything. The opportunities I have. We've come about by happenstance and we've made our own opportunities. And it echoes very much what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as God is talking to the people of Israel as they're about to go take the promised land. And he's providing that for them, right? In as much as he's provided creation for you and I. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8 starting in verse 10, 
God gives this warning to the people of Israel. And he says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. And you may say to yourself, my, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it was he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And I think what what happens in a wealthy society, and let's just acknowledge something, we are a wealthy society. Even those who are poor among us are wealthy. We have people who come to our borders from other countries wishing to be the poor of our country. Let us not think for a moment we are not a wealthy country. But the problem with wealth is this, that when we have so much of it, it's easy to forget God. It's easy to take credit ourselves for what our hands have done i did this i built this i made this happen instead of acknowledging the god of the universe who created everything like i said creation is incomplete but it gives us enough to know that there is a god and we know that it's incomplete Romans chapter 8, Paul would continue to talk about creation. And in Romans chapter 8, it says this, starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. See, creation, even as it is right now, is subject to frustration Because of sin. And so we see decay happening in creation. Those animals that you see, well, they eat each other. Okay? Or they die and they waste away. And then other animals eat their carcasses. The plants that we have, they die. Everything that we see in creation falls down over time, right? 
because sin has had a, a detrimental effect on it. However, the glory of God is still seen in creation. That's what we see in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, but creation still gives a testimony to God that we're accountable to God and knowing who this God is. That we should be seeking after this God. But one thing you should know is without God actually talking to you and me, those six things I talked about are all we could ever know about God. Think about it for just a moment. We have an intelligent, intentional, powerful, timeless, spaceless, and immaterial being who created everything. And unless he makes himself known... To us, that's all we can ever surmise. That's it. And fortunately for us, that's where things change. That's why I love Psalm 19, because it turns on a dime, right? So these first six verses right here are talking about the testimony, the faithful witness of God in creation. That creation gives a testimony of who God is that everybody can see that God has created. And then verse 7 takes an an astonishing twist. Because verse 7 acknowledges that the idea that if God does not communicate with you and me, there's no way to know him. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey that's from the comb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. And so we switch unexpectedly in Psalm 19 from the glory of God in all of creation to the better glory of God revealed in his word. Because this God has not kept himself secret. He has made himself known to the people of Israel. He has made himself known to you and me through his word. And think about what it talks about there. That the word of God revives the soul. That the word of God makes wise the simple. That the word of God gives light to the eyes. That is more precious than gold, is sweeter than honey. And by the statutes and ordinances of God, your servant is warned. So we might not sin against God, right? Because He wants that relationship with us, He wants us to know why we were created, He wants us to care for Him by not just keeping himself a secret. It should mean everything to you and me. Everything. I mean, consider, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
where we began with, with the warnings that were there concerning the people of Israel as they were about to enter into the land. And he said, you know, you're going to get rich. And when you get rich and you get wealthy and God blesses you, your mind, because you have so much because of the blessing of God, is going to easily stray away from God and say, I did this myself. It was from my strength, my hand. I didn't need God to be able to do all of this. So Deuteronomy 8 actually begins this way. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, the word of God is life to us. And more than that, because he's spoken, he's revealed himself to us. And for what end? And to what end? Because we're, we're seeing a psalm of David right now who's rejoicing in God giving his word because he knows that there is life that is there. But to what end is this life given to us? To what end do we have these ordinances and these laws that are listed in the Old Testament? Jesus reveals that in John chapter 5. And so as he's talking and having one of his confrontations with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he's trying to, trying to reveal who he is, why he's come. He has just talked about the fact that he has life in himself. He's going to be the judge of the earth. The Father has given him all judgment, and it has pleased the Father to give him life in and of himself. That Christ himself is the life. And then he goes on to say these amazing words, starting in verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony, a testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he's testified to the truth, speaking of John the Baptist. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you, and I know that you have not the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set." If you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? 
You see, the Word of God, the end of the Word of God, even when we look back in the Old Testament, what David is looking forward to by the Word of God being revealed by God is Jesus and the coming of Christ. The salvation that is promised, not just to the Jews, but to all who come and believe on his name. And Jesus himself say, look, you think it's by the scriptures that you have eternal life, but these scriptures testify about me, and I'm the one you're supposed to come to for life. See, the end goal of the word of God for your life and my life is to draw us to Christ, to recognize that we fall short of the standard of God. To recognize that God has made a way because he hasn't stayed aloof, only being an immaterial being over, out there somewhere who doesn't care about his creation enough to talk to them. Not only does he talk to them, not only did he provide a way for the people of Israel, he sent his son wrapped in flesh and bone to die on a cross for you and me to show how much he loved each one of us. Jesus is the end goal of the Word of God. It's why the Word of God gives life, refreshes the soul. And I think we have an issue in our culture today, a standard, and I don't know where it began, I really don't, but a standard that started sometime, I would say probably in the last 50, 60 years, Within Christendom, what has happened is we have traded out the Word of God for other people who are charismatic speakers or great writers or good bloggers, great on the television. It's the very thing that Jesus talks about in John chapter 5 when he says, you know, you heap praise on one another and you believe each other, but you won't go to God himself, right? And all of us think about it. And all of us are probably to a certain extent guilty of it. I know this great person who shares the word of God, and I'm not saying our intentions are wrong, but what we've done is we've elevated man above the word of God. We don't start with the Word of God. We don't know the Word of God. As a Christian culture right now, it's terrible where we're at as far as the Word of God is concerned. Youth growing up, 2%. 2% have a Christian worldview of those in the church. The generation above it, the millennials, 4% have a Christian worldview. Just four. Of the generation above that, we're going to Gen X. Six percent have a Christian worldview. And when we get to the boomers, we're up to a heaping seven percent. Gets better every generation, but not by much. Nothing that any of us should be proud of. And how did this happen? This happened because we regarded man and his teaching over God and his teaching. There's nothing that can tell you otherwise. We don't know the word. That's why we have made it a priority over these last five years to get into the word as a congregation together. 
Because it's only through the word of God that Jesus is revealed. But if you're following a person, and that person decides to change his theology or her theology, which happens so much nowadays, because it's inconvenient, it's unpopular, it doesn't line up with the word of God, they take troves of people with them who have become followers of that person rather than followers of the word of God which is supposed to lead us to Christ. We start with the wrong foundation. And that foundation should be Jesus. And that foundation should drive us back to the word of God. And that foundation should say, the first thing I should know more than anything else is the Word of God. And then, as I read other books, I can say the amen, or I can trash it, based upon my knowledge, not of that book, but of the Word of God. We're talking about conveying clearly what the Scriptures say in our lives so that we can evaluate the teachings that's being taught to us. Whether it is Mark or myself or anybody else who's up here, I don't want to lead you astray. But the only way you have that assurance is that you know the Word of God. There's no substitute for it. Left Behind series is not eschatology. I read ten of those novels before I was just done with it. I'll just take the Bible. I just want to read what the Bible says. Same thing on any issue we're talking about today. You name it. Do you know where the scriptures are concerning that issue? Do you? Are you waiting for me and Mark to preach a sermon on it? Write a book about it. I might. Hope you buy it. But more importantly, if you were, I hope you'd compare it to the Scriptures first and foremost to find out whether or not what I'm saying is true. See, by getting things backwards for so long, by being about personality instead about the Word of God, we have created generations of people who do not know the Word of God. Who do not have a biblical worldview from within the body of Christ. I don't expect them to know the worldview. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, I expect me to know the worldview. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should know that worldview. And there's no substitute. There's no shortcut. There's no Cliff's Notes. is sitting down and saying, Jesus is honored most when I know most about him through the word that God was pleased to reveal in his word so that you and I would have confidence of who Jesus is, of what he's done for us, why we should follow him. It gives revival to my soul. Better than any book that I'll ever write or Mark will ever write, or anybody you're reading will ever write. And we just soak up that substitute all the time 
in place of the only thing that helps us to know Jesus. Something I have written, these blueprints right here that are designed for you as parents and they're designed for you as people who are here who want to get into the Word of God. I'm about to, if you've been a part of this for the last few years that I've given you these in some form or fashion, fair warning, because we're talking about the Word right now, I'm about to start making my rounds again to your family to find out how you're doing, what's going on, how you're doing with your kids in the, in the Word of God. You know why? Because there's no substitute. There's no substitute. None. Zero. Nada. If you're a new believer in Christ or you're a believer in Christ who wants to start taking Jesus seriously and don't know where to start, I'll give you one of these. You know where it's going to take you? It's going to take you to the Word of God because there is no substitute. None. We're hearing it in the Psalms. Creation gives us a certain amount of... I've heard people say, try to use creation as, well, this is my church. I'm sorry. The Word of God doesn't say that's your church. And again... I have to compare it to the Word of God. So being outdoors is great because you get more in touch with the Almighty, and I'm not saying you can't. I believe every one of us can and should. I think it's a great travesty if we spend our time inside, on video games, all of these other things. You know what we're doing? We're purposefully deleting out God from our life in any testimony whatsoever that would draw us back into His glorious greatness. Being in creation should draw us to His Word. And obviously being away from creation makes us a little bit less aware. We've got to be in the Word, guys. I say it all the time, but it's the only thing that revives the soul. Sorry, playing your video games do not revive your soul. And I like video games, and I like books, and I like movies, just like everybody else. But it's got to be first and foremost God and His Word. And too many of us know way too much about the world around us and too little about God. And we wonder why our souls are empty and our life feels meaningless. Think about this last year, everybody. It's 2020. Well, that's 2021 now. We're just kind of taking 2020 with us, right? If we have found our worth in all of these otherworldly things, they have been stripped away. So many kids are hurting right now. You know why? Only 2% of them have a Christian worldview. They're hurting because they don't know Jesus. They don't know what he's done for them. They have no purpose beyond their schedule that they've done over and over again. And God has so much more for them than that. Has so much more for you than that. And if all you've done has been the slave to the culture around us that changed just like that, you're reeling. And you're not going to find that comfort and peace by getting those things back. Because if you needed them that badly... All they have been are idols to you. They are a poor facsimile of what God really wants for you to have in Christ. See, all of this is to lead us to something else. Look how the end of the psalm, look how the, the psalm ends. 
Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Because God has none. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Whether we are looking at creation or we're looking at the word of God, there's only one purpose. It's to draw us into his presence to help us to recognize our insufficiency and the all-encompassing glory and sufficiency of God given through Jesus Christ. So that what it does for your life and my life is that we just want more of him. I want to know your word so well that I'm not, I'm not struggling with willful sins. How many of you have ever, ever willfully sinned before? Right here. I'm the only one, really? Seriously? Come on, let's get these hands up. I mean, you know that you shouldn't have done certain things and you did it anyway. You know what that really is? It's not just a struggle with sin that's in our hearts because we're depraved people who need a Savior. It's the fact that many of us aren't spending that time in the Word. I can tell you some of my willful sins keep me away from the Word of God. Keep me away from wanting to draw close to him. Keep me away from all of the things that God wants for me in the revival of my soul that happens in the word of God that draws me close to Jesus so that I can follow him and love him through obedience. And so we see David saying the same thing. Keep me away from these willful sins so that I'll be, I'll be innocent of great transgression. And he says something, I I wish that all of us would pray. But you know what? The only way that we're going to pray this prayer, the only idea behind this is if we want to be so close to God, so close to him that we want to be in his word. I want to know what you want for my life. I want to know what's happening. I want you to strip me down and separate the wheat from the chaff in my soul so that I can have this revival that you've promised through your word. And through the person of Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Are those your thoughts? Or are we so busy? Because we're surrounded with us. We're surrounded with our technology. We're surrounded with the next show, the next video game, the next book we want to read, the next you name it. All this information has just made us busier. We take no time for creation. We take no time for his word. We're hurried We're not considering God in the midst of our decisions on a day-to-day basis. The interactions with our co-workers and the whatnot. Because other things have become priority. I don't want that to be me. I don't. I want to be slow enough to glorify God in his creation.
I want to be slow enough and intentional enough to be in his word. And not just two minutes a day. I mean, if you're on a five-year plan with, with what we're doing right now, we're doing this so that you guys will get used to being in the word of God on a daily basis. But I'm going to challenge you right now. If this is it, it's going to take you three minutes. You think that's the type of devotion that we're reading in Psalm 19 to really fall in love with Jesus? I can do it in three minutes a day? Is that really what he's asking of us? Is that really going to be what's going to help us to recognize false teaching from other people because I spent three minutes in my Bible today? I want to know the Word of God because it glorifies Jesus. I want to see Jesus on every page and every jot and tittle. Those are Hebrew terms. So that I can bring glory to Christ as I have opportunity every day in my interactions with other people. So that when I read books, I can give the amen when it lines up with the word of God. And I can give the warning when it doesn't. I want to know Jesus that well. I really do. And I'm not there yet. I'm like you. I'm traveling along the same lines. But I won't get there if I treat so little with so little respect the word of God. My prayer for you is get into the word. No substitute. Get to know your Savior better. You might appreciate our sermons more or less. I don't know. So. If you want a discipleship book, I brought some here here today. You guys are welcome to them. If you're a parent and you're wanting to know how to talk about this discipleship journey with your kids, come and talk to me. We're going to set up a time where you can sit down and talk about it. Why it's so important. There's no substitute for the word of God. None. It revives our soul by leading us to Christ. Because that's the end goal of the word of God. According to Jesus himself. I pray that you know him. Do you stand? God, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your word that leads us to the knowledge of who Jesus is. That you're not a God who stood aloof and just had us guessing what your character was like but that you loved us that you cared for us that you walked with us that you told us that you were sending a savior to save us from the very thing that separated us from you i want to serve that savior the rest of my life i want to know christ I want to know the power of his resurrection. I, I want so someday I'll be able to stand before the throne of God, not because of my worthiness, but because Christ is worthy of all. I pray in the name of Jesus for everybody who's here. God, take away our distractions. Help us to glory in your creation. Help us to slow down our life, Lord. Help us to be in your word first, not last, not second, not when I get around to it, but first, before anything else. 
because we know it, it glorifies Christ. And the better we're equipped in doing that, the better we're going to be in sharing Jesus with others around us that he's called us to do. So I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will give us a heart for you, that your word truly would revive our souls because it leads us to the one who saves us. God, I just thank you for our time today. I thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for your word. It doesn't come back void. It makes wise the simple. May we be simple enough to be wise to go to you first. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.